Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. So we are continuing today our series, The Legacy of Jesus, looking back and really saying during this Christmas season, not just what did, you know, not just that Jesus was born, but as Jesus lived, what did he leave behind? Because when we think about this word legacy, it's not if you are leaving a legacy, it's what kind of legacy are you leaving? You're going to be remembered for something. And really, with, with the bumper video even, you could even see what some famous people had to say about Jesus. Gandhi said Jesus was a great teacher, but he didn't believe that he was the son of God, right? You had Elvis Presley, you know, I'm not the king, Jesus is king, right? Like, like, like we you just say, Jesus has impacted our world unlike any other human being ever. And that is what we, we touched on last week, is there is no legacy like Jesus that has been left by any other human being on this world. He has touched every single person in some sort of way, some good and some bad. And really, whenever we're thinking about the legacy of Jesus, what we are challenged with this Christmas season is, is to say, if that is the legacy that Jesus left, or if Jesus left a legacy, what did he leave behind that we need to catch and continually leave behind as well? And really what, what I was thinking, because honestly, this could go a million different ways. And some of the times, one of the hard things that preachers run into is, is when you talk about the legacy of Jesus, there could be a hundred things. So we kind of got to center in on two or three. And when I was looking at Jesus's life and really what he left behind, and G- Jesus left behind a legacy of giving. A legacy thing, and I mean, here's the thing, even Jesus said about his own life, he said, no one takes my life from me. You remember that? When, when Jesus said, like, it's not like I'm going to give my life or, or someone's going to take my life from me. It's not like the Roman Empire is going to take my life and crucify me because they're powerful. It's I, I'm going to do what? Give my life as a ransom and sacrifice for many. And when, when you think about the legacy that Jesus left, it was marked. See, he's saying Jesus' legacy was not marked by what he took. It was marked by what he gave. And really, I think the question that we all have to wrestle with in light of that is, how is your life being marked right now? How would people define you? Are you marked by someone that is a taker or by somebody that is a giver? And so today, we're going to dive in and explore this legacy that Jesus left of giving and then say, how can, how can we take that legacy and work it into our own lives so we can take his legacy that he passed on and continue that on as his followers? Because I think something that very important that we need to think about before we dive into this is that 
Jesus was fully human. Because I, I, I think sometimes we can look at Jesus' life and we can say, well, of course he did what he did because he was God. Like, duh. He had, he had unlimited power, unlimited resources. He did what he did because he was the Savior. But one thing I think we absolutely miss about Jesus' life is Jesus was not just a Savior. He was an example. And ultimately, he was an example that showed us what is capable of a human being that is fully submitted to the spirit and power of God and governed by personal discipline. Because here's the thing, the same Holy Spirit Jesus was filled with, you have access to. The same personal disciplines that Jesus walked, walked in, you have the ability to do that as well. And, but the thing that, that, that the Christmas season focuses on is the fact that Jesus came and he was what? Emmanuel. He, it was what? The incarnation. He came in the flesh. And, and so, we, and, and, and why, is this such good, why is this such good news for us? Because we don't have a God that looks down on us and says, have fun with that. We don't have a God that looks down on us and can't relate with us. We have a God that, that actually says, I can understand what it is like to be a human being. One of the things you actually see about Jesus' life is Jesus was in need. He got hungry, fasted for 40 days. And at the very end of fasting in 40 days, the writer, the, the writer Matthew in the gospel says, and Jesus was hungry. Thank you for that detail, Matthew. Right? He was hungry. It says he got tired. It says he wept when his friend died. Like Jesus is able to understand what you are walking through because everything scripture says that you have walked through, Jesus in some way walked through it in the same way. Hebrews 4 says we have a God who can sympathize with us because he knows and can sympathize and relate with our weaknesses. And like I said, this is great news because we got a God that says, me too. If you go to God and, and you say, I'm hurt, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm tired. You don't have a God saying, why do you feel that way? Have you ever had people in your life that you try to be vulnerable with? And they, they just try to like cheerlead you or Bible verse you? Or they, they, they try to just, you know, they say something, well, the Bible says, this too shall pass. The Bible doesn't say that, just a heads up. That's something we've culturally created. But Jesus doesn't do that. What Jesus does, he does a Bible, he comes beside you and he says, I'm with you in this because I can relate. And that is what the power of Jesus coming in the flesh does. But also it doesn't just show us we have a God that can relate with us. It also shows us, Jesus shows us what kind of life is possible. So when you read the Gospels and whenever you hear Jesus being taught, these aren't some far-off stories that we can't attain. This is a way of life that Jesus modeled, and Jesus said, those who follow me, what do you say, they will even do greater things than I've done. He was essentially saying, those that follow me, like they can, like, they can be like me. And I think as we're going into topics and we're saying what legacy Jesus left behind, we have to be reminded that this kind of stuff, 
is, is possible. And Jesus isn't some far-off guy that we can't relate with. But, it, but Jesus shows us, like I said, what a life is that is fully submitted to the Holy Spirit and his life that is governed by personal discipline. Jesus was a giver. Like I said, we can see it in the life that Jesus lived. He said, I don't, no one takes it, I give it. You can even see the most famous scripture in the Bible, John 3, 16. It says what? For God so what? Loved the world that what, what was his response being love? He did what? He, he gave. Ba- basically saying that one of the traits of, of God that, that when we do it, we are never more like him is when we, is when we give. It's when we have this mindset and heart and discipline of my natural proclivity is not to take and be selfish. It is to give. And what you see in Christians beyond when Jesus left. So Jesus died, rose. He talked to 500 disciples, went to heaven. And then you see Christians actually carry this idea of being a giver and kind of giving being in the Christians' DNA very seriously. Actually, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim, Tim, Tim Keller, after studying history of the early Christians, actually describes it this way. This is what he says here. He says, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society, and here's the thing, right, was... was was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. So he's talking about two things here, money and sex. Then he says, a pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. So they were giving, but it was not the kind that Jesus honored. (laughs) Right? Right, it was a different kind of giving. But then it says, and the Christians came and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave practically everybody their money. Basically saying what, what their life was marked by was a life of giving. You see Acts chapter 2, the historian Luke, when talking about how the early church functioned, operated, what was in its DNA. This is what he says here, Acts chapter 2, verse 45. It says, they, and he's talking about the disciples, sold their property and possessions to do what? Give. Like there was, there, there was, there was, there was this Culture of if, if somebody has need, yeah, it's what we do. We give. Like, it's, it, it's not just something that we do to get something from God or something we do to, but it's like, no, like, our, our proclivity, our DNA, the first response is that of giving. And here's the thing. It's not just, it's not just money. I think sometimes whenever we think about giving, we automatically think about money. But it is about money. But it's not about money, but it is, <laughs> right? So, so here's the here's the thing, right? Like as Christians, we have been we we have been given to by God, and the way we break it down and generalize it is basically you have been given time, talent, and treasure, and that treasure can be your money, your stuff, your house, your car, any any sort of stuff. So, so today, whenever I'm talking about giving, I'm not just talking about money, but I am talking about money. 
but it's, it's really not just about money, but it's about all of who you are. Because there will be times where people will need your time. And you will not want to give it. And what you will be tempted to do because you don't want to give your time is throw money at it. And for some of you, you like to give your time instead of giving your money. So you will say, well, you know, I'm going to give my time because my money's off limits. Because this is how we do it. We say, well, I'll give this so I don't have to give that. Or I will give this. And, y'all, that is not the way a Christian operates. It's not that we give him time so we don't have to give money. Or we give money so we don't have to give time. Or we don't give talent so we don't have to give treasure. Like, do, do you understand? It's, it's not a compartmentalized gospel. It's all of you that you have been given by God that then it is not yours. So then we use this word at Lifehouse, steward. Like we are called to be stewards where a steward is somebody that manages what is not theirs for the benefit of the person that gave it to them. So it's like you're managing something that isn't yours. And so you treat it with a unique respect, with a unique dignity, with a unique holiness. And that is the way we're called to treat all of us, like all of us, time, talent, treasure. So today, when you hear me talking about giving, I'm not just talking about money, but I am talking about money. I'm not just talking about time, but I am talking about time. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's all of us. We're called to give all of us. We're called to give every piece of us. So when we look at the life and legacy of Jesus... How, how do we not just take, how, how not just do we receive this legacy, but how do we actually pass it on and get it in our DNA so, so we can share and show the world who God is? Because I think one of the ways, because y'all, this is the reason we follow Jesus. Like the, the, the reason that we even have the church is not just to gather for a service on a Sunday. It, it, it is to be the people and body of Jesus. Let's not forget that. that y'all, when we come here, we're encouraged. We hear the word of God. We worship. Like we come, to, we come together, not just for the purpose of coming together, but we come together in order so we can then go and be sent. So that you can go into all of your context, your work, your, 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 work, your family, your sports teams, your hobby places, and then you can literally go and be a physical representation of a Jesus that cannot be seen. And one of the ways that they're going to actually notice Jesus in you is, is going to be is giving in your nature. So how do we work this? How, how can we get this to work into our lives and receive this legacy that Jesus gave us? I want to give you a couple thoughts today. Giving changes you. This is what giving does for you. Giving changes you more than who or what you could give towards. I want to say that one, one more time. Giving, when, whenever you give, whenever you practice giving, it changes you more than who or what you give towards. And really by this, what I simply mean is this. Giving is a discipline that is meant to change you. In other words, the more you do it, the more it should shape you and form you so now it's, it's not just something you practice, it becomes somebody you are. 
when Paul was talking to the church in Corinth and, and he was trying to talk to them about, about giving, this is what he says here. And he's talking to him here. The context here is about sowing and reaping. But what he says here is this. He says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce, and here's a great thing, a great harvest of generosity where? In you. He's saying that when you sow and when you give, what you are actually doing is it just isn't changing what is going on out here. What it's actually doing is it's changing who you are becoming in here. And it is wild talking to people, especially when it comes to money. Whenever they, like I talked to this one guy at the gym and we're talking and he comes over to me. He literally comes over to me like he's working on, he's this high, this high energy guy. It's like, I don't know if, if he like snorts pre-workout or what he does, but he like hype energy, takes 14 monster energy drinks before he comes into the gym, but he's like jumpy and stuff like that. He comes over to me. He said, hey, bro, hey, bro, I got something to share. I'm like, all right. He's, he's like, tithe and change my life. <laughs> I'm like, this dude's crazy. <laughs> but I was like, okay. Uh, so I was just like, he went off and did his workout. I was like, all right, man, tell me, tell me more. And then it was just like, yeah, yeah, man. It changed my life because it made me see the more that I gave. It changed me in here. I'm like, okay, cool. Thank, thanks for sharing that, man. Go and get your set in. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because here's the thing, right? The gym is the hardest place of balancing talking and working. Anyone else struggle with that? Jesus, it's like... <laughs> You know how sometimes you can have the headphones in and you ain't got nothing playing, but you just want other people to know, leave me alone? Anybody else done that? You know, you're just like, I love you. And then you're, and then you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, word, that's crazy. And you're trying to give them nonverbal communications and you're backing up, like, and they keep on talking. You're like, okay, you know, but... But, but it was absolutely wild because what he was saying, this act didn't just change what I gave to, it changed my heart. It loosed the grip of, 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 of selfishness. It loosed the grip. Why? Because y'all, our culture doesn't train you in this. I don't have to teach my kids the word mine. Like, it's wild. I never taught them that. And they know it. Like, mine. Someone touches their, I mean, y'all, our culture, I mean, think of the way our culture markets to you. Guys, please, and I mean, and here's the thing, I'm not, like, just, you have to be a cultural student, because the world has an agenda for you. It's trying to disciple you. Discipleship is not just the Christian word. It's, it's, it's the way life works. The culture is trying to disciple you into a certain way of living. So how does culture market to you? If you don't have this, you suck. You don't have this car. You don't have this phone. You don't have these clothing. You don't have fill. You don't have this toothbrush. You don't have this. I mean, fill in the blank. It makes you feel like it's trying to make you feel you're missing out, or you don't have enough, or what you have isn't good enough. So then, what does that create in you? It creates fear. What does fear typically create? It creates a spirit of lack. Once you have a spirit of lack, what do you then do? 
And this is the way the culture is trying to disciple you because when you get like this, it, it, that doesn't form you into a person that, that wants to give anything, time, treasure, anything. And th- this is the way the culture is discipling you. And you have to notice this because that, that, that is why every time you give, it is an act of defiance against the culture. Every time you decide to give, it is an act saying, I will not let the culture shape the way that I think, dictate what God I serve, and make me think that I am the center of my resources. I love what Kent Hughes says. He says this, every time I give, I declare that money, and it's not just money, but it is about money. I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. So it's literally saying, you will not rule me. You will not be my God. Because I have a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And the thing is, when you have a spirit of lack, it's not the spirit of God. Because what you're saying is, you are the contributor or the only contributor to your resources. When it's like, no, the, the resource giver, the one who provides, isn't you. God even gives you the strength to get wealth, it says in, Deuter- in Deuteronomy. That even the strength you have, even the mindset you have, is the one that gives you the strength to do anything. So, so here's the thing. When you give, it's not just about what it does. It changes you. So Kristen and I, we just got done walking through selling our house and buying one during the holidays with three kids. That, you, that we have to keep clothed, bathed, fed, and doing homework and keep them from killing each other, okay? So we just sold a house and bought a house. Thank you, by the way, if you did help with, with that. I appreciate you. We had so many people come in and pitch in helping and giving. But this past Thursday, our realtors came by and they had this little white this little white envelope and they gave it to me and they said hey uh, we wanted to give this to you because what we do with people who we know are involved within a church community we we uh, we actually give give them to give to their church a tithe to give to their church and so i'm take it i open it up it's thir- you know it's like, it's $1,300. And just like, uh, <laughs> I was like, do you, do you got a second to talk? Because <laughs> I was like, this, can you tell me about this? Like, why do y'all do, like, why do y'all do this? And, and she just started to tell me her story. And it, w- and it was wild. She, you know, I mean, she, she just, and what she said was the same thing. Tithing changed, tithing changed my life. She said, tithing changed our lives. She said, we were at this point in a couple, you know, we were a couple, we had a couple kids and we were growing up and we just, we, and we just looked at how we were doing things. And she said, my husband came to me and was, and was just, and was just like, honey, we, we got to start putting God first. And so she, so she said, you know what? Like we just, we just started doing it. And she just said what it did. And these were her words and not not mine. She said, it changed our hearts. Changed our hearts. She, she said, it wasn't what we gave that, that changed. It, it was the fact that what giving not just did for what they gave towards, but what it did for their heart. It changed them. 
And that is what giving has the power to do. Not just change what you give towards, it will do that, but what ultimately it will do is it will change the thing that needs to be changed the most. It's not your behavior, it's your heart. Because God isn't after your behavior because you can behave the right way and your heart be far from God. You can do the right things for the wrong, for the wrong reasons. You can do the right things to actually control God. And unfortunately, that's, that's the way giving has kind of been taught. You give, and if you give, God will just give it down, shake and press it together, ha, 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 you know, and I just say, and, and then it's like, you know, here's the thing. I believe God, God could, he, he, he does, but giving ultimately at the end of the day isn't about what you give back. It's who you become as you do it. It changes you, y'all. It says generosity will well up in you. Second thought is this. Giving is a muscle that you have to work on. Uh, speaking of the gym. One of the things I think we miss in Christian change, like in discipleship, is we leave, is we spend so much time trying that we spend no time training. And I've spoken about this concept before, about how, you know, if, if you were to, if you, <laughs> imagine yourself sitting on the couch, you got a bag of Doritos and a Pepsi. You've been doing this for some months. And you, you get this, 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 this inspiration. I want to run a marathon. Yeah, 26.2. Put that little sticker right on my car. Hey, you know what I'm saying? And, and people that have, have that, I'm like, you prideful. Just letting everyone know how awesome you are. We got Paul. We got Paul here, 26 points. He, he, he ran 26.2 at 52 years old. Come on, somebody. 50, 51 or 52. 51 years old. It was wild, right? Because it was the one city marathon, I, th I think three years, or I think, it was, I think it was like three years back. Paul, we were at the finish line and we were cheering each other on. And Paul was like, I'm going to run it next. I'm going to run this thing next year. And I was like, all right, Paul, ready? I, w I want you to record you saying this. So when you're in your training and you're like, I hate my life, I hate everything, I'm going to send this video to you so you can remind yourself of what you said. And, and, you know, and he gave himself some, some inspiration. But what you would not do at that moment is get up and try to run 26.2. You'd be an idiot because you haven't trained yourself. You would be trying. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get that 26.2. And you go 26.2 feet. <laughs> and your chest... 26.2 feet, and you are struggling, struggling, you're struggling. Why? Because you had, you tried, you didn't train. If you were going to do it, you would say, I'm going to get off the couch and I'm going to walk a mile on the treadmill for two weeks. Then I'm going to, do you know what? I'm going to run a half mile and then walk a half mile for the next two weeks. You would formulate a plan to get to a place where you could do what your intentions wanted to do. But what Christians are great at, that's it. I'm done. I'm changing. It's all changing. I'm going to be kinder, nicer, and a giver tomorrow. <laughs> so, so then you get up and you go to work and it lasts 26.2 seconds whenever your first customer hits or whenever your first inter interaction 
with someone else hit because you had good intentions. You tried, but you didn't train. Here's, here's the thing. The, the language in Scripture is not pray and try and it'll happen. That's why Paul said things like in 1 Timothy 4, he's talking to his pastoral protege, Timothy. He said, train yourself to be godly. He was essentially saying, this is not a hope and a prayer and just throw on up a Hail Mary and I'm changed. No, it's you have to put in place disciplines that will shape and form you so you can live the kind of life God wants you to live. This is what, what even Paul said. He said, you not know in a race, like all the runners run, but one gets the prize. And he's like, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, and he's using a sports metaphor, everyone who competes like goes into what? Strict training. And what he was saying there is like, if you desire to be godly, incredible intention, if you desire to be like Jesus, it will take discipline. That's what I think we miss about Jesus' life, is Jesus was insanely disciplined. It said, as was his custom, he went off by himself and prayed. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue. As was his custom, he sat down and taught. As was his custom, Jesus was governed by a certain set of, of principles and disciplines that led to him living like a certain kind of person. We need a movement, not just in Lifehouse, but in the church of people who will say, I am, I'm training instead of trying. Because some of y'all want to be more loving, want to be more peaceful, want to be more kind, you want to be more generous, you want to be more giving. You have a desire to be all of these things, but nothing in your life changes. Nothing in your daily walk, in your daily disciplines, in your daily acts change. So you're like, I want more peace but you keep scrolling on social media. So you, so you take on vicariously the pain of all your friends, the pain of the whole world, the pain of everyone else's stuff, the relationship issues of everyone's stuff, the, the issues going on from everyone else's life. I just can't have peace. Because you got you to deal with, which is enough. And then you try to take on vicariously everyone else's issues. And you wonder why I, and then you hear about everything going on in the world, across the world, across the street, neighbor app. You see who got robbed, who got killed. You got all of this knowledge, and you're like, why can't I have peace? Because your peace is something you protect. Peace is a gate you put up, and you say, nope, not coming in today. Some of you are like, I want peace, and your gate's wide open. So, and, and here's the thing, when it comes to, and what I'm saying is, is whatever kind of change you desire, don't want the change, but not want the process. Because let me tell you what this will do. You'll desire to change, you'll try, you'll fail, and the, I suck, I'm not a Christian, Jesus doesn't love me, I'm not good enough. And that's the cycle. That's the cycle. Instead of, here is the Jesus cycle. I, this is what Jesus did. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and personal discipline. I'm filled with that same Holy Spirit. He's given me the ability to put in place my choice, my, put in place disciplines. Not to save you. You're already saved. And that's where we get messed up too. We think that disciplines equals salvation. So you think, I must do this, 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 then I'll be saved. No, you don't. You are saved by grace through faith, meaning there's nothing you could do for God to save you. He did it on the cross, in your place, for your sin. All you need to do to be saved is receive. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why it's such good news. But now, because you've been saved, what you do, this is who Jesus is and what Jesus did, that's who I desire to be, not to be saved because I'm already saved. So now I put in place a plan of discipline and training with the right heart, the right motive, so I can become a certain kind of person for the glory of God. If we had a church that said, we're just going to stop trying and we're going to start training, even what it was, I mean, even you know, and, and it's just like even said Jesus, it was like it was not if he fasted, when he fasted. We're going to do a 21-day prayer and fasting starting January 9th. Put it on your calendar. We're going to get some training. <laughs> 9th through the 30th. Put it on, put, put it on your, your calendar. It's going to be a time for us to train together as a church body. But this is what Dallas Willard says. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but training wisely. When it comes to giving, the only way you get better at is if you do it. Like, you have a hope of being a more giving person, and that is why a church community is important, because a church community functions as a gym, sort of. It functions as a place where you can practice so you can get better, so you can become. So that is why we encourage you to serve, because when you give of yourself outside of you, every time you do that, it is a defiant act against the way the culture is trying to shape you. Every time you give money, what you're doing is it's a defiant act against the culture, how it's wanting to shape and form you. It's a place to practice and train so you can become a certain kind of person. All right, next, giving. Giving goes wrong, ready? Giving goes wrong when it's done out of guilt or to get something in return. And this is just like I was saying, many of us give, whether we give anything, and it can be because of like, you, you know, you, you're like, man, I've really screwed up against God this week. I better give him something just to appease him. You ever done that? Man, you know, I got to give him something to make him happy. And y'all, that, that's, 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 that's not what God wants. He, he, he doesn't want your guilt trips. But as a Christian, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So as a Christian, if you have a feeling of guilt, that's not God. That's Satan. Conviction is God. And conviction is a blessing. When you've got that inside of you saying, I have got this feeling like I have wronged a holy God. I've said something. I've done something. I've thought something. I had this motive. When you have that feeling, you better be thanking God. Because how many of you know when you have kids, when your kids recognize when they've done something, it makes you happy? You ever been there? 
of like when your kid says something and you don't have to go to them, they come to you. Because why? They felt convicted. That is a blessing. It's like we don't, do, we, we don't give money, time, tre- talent, treasure, whatever, out of guilt. We don't give it to get something. See, and this is where I, I think, unfortunately, the thought process has come in church. We, we give because God is some cosmic stock market. And we invest in the stock market. And the cosmic stock market gives it back. Now, I believe God can give on, on his accord when he wants to, how he wants to. And I believe he will, and I've seen it. I, I mean, and I'm trying to teach my kids this. And it was the wildest thing. We were going to the Christmas lights on Friday, right? The Christmas lights over at Newport News Park. We were driving it, and I'm trying to teach them little points of giving, right? So what I said was, I was like, hey, guys, who wants to pay for the car behind us? And they were all like, me, we want to do it. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let's just, here's the thing, right? We're going to pay for the car behind us, and maybe there will get this, this kind of whole pay it forward thing rolling. So we pull up. We go there. We say, hey, us, and we're going to pay for, for the car behind us too. I give the car. Something goes wrong with their credit card machine, and they're like, here, here you go. You're going to go free, and the car behind you is free. Just go. Can you imagine a little 10-year-old, 8-year-old, and 5-year-old mind? Dad! Look what God did! <laughs> I mean, they're my, my, I mean, Jackson's still talking about it. I mean, you know, just see what God did. I'm like, that's right, Jackson, you can't outgive God. You give to him, always got you. But, but, but here's, here's the, like, God can and will do that. I believe he does. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. And, 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 but that's not why we do it. That is not why we do it. What did I say? We don't give out of guilt or to get. We give because of the gospel. The gospel is the fact for God so loved the world that he gave when no one gave to him. It was selfless giving. It, it's, and so, when, when, so whenever we give, it's not out of guilt or to get. It's because we give because God gave. And so we don't give to get because we, get, we already got all we need. God's our source. He owns everything. So when we give, we don't give out of fear or guilt or to get. We give because of, the God's, because of whose God's image we're created in. He's a giver. So we give willingly and gladfully and cheerfully. And what this does, this makes sure our heart is right when we give. That our heart, that our heart is right. Because God just doesn't want your gift. He wants your heart. He just doesn't want what. He wants who. He wants you. He, he wants, that's what I say, if God wants your heart, because if he has your heart, he doesn't, he, he's got you. He's got you. So this purifies our motive. This purifies why we give. This this ensures that why we give is because of the gospel. Because, y'all, the good news is the gospel was that Jesus gave. And he didn't give to get. He didn't give out of guilt. He gave because he loved you. And Jesus gave because his father gave to him. So it becomes this snowball becomes this snowball effective where what if we had a church full, a church full of 
people who had no ulterior motive for what they gave. They said, God, we give because of who you are. God, we give because you've given. We don't treat God like a cosmic stock market. We don't, we don't like try to empty the guilt on our conscience just by giving stuff. Man, we give because we've been given to. We give because of the gospel. Does that make sense? Lastly, here, here's the thing, right? Giving, let me, let me walk back through these points because I, I feel so dumb. There's some times I will preach stuff and then it'll be like, the first point, and I don't even know my first point. That's because I got so many things rolling, right? But see, here's the thing, here's the thing right? Just to review quickly, giving changes you more than it changes what you give towards. Giving is a muscle that you have to work on. Giving goes wrong when it's done out of guilt or to get something in return. And lastly, giving isn't just about Whoops, no, here we go. Giving has the potential to plant seeds that can reap a harvest far beyond you and your life. So basically, giving has the potential to outlast you. And that's what we see in Jesus' life, is that what Jesus gave, Jesus focused his life on things that would outlast him. And that's what I think is very different from the life that Jesus challenged us to live and the life that our culture lives is that the life that we live, it, it, or the, the life that many times the culture tells us to live is to focus on things that, that literally once we die, it goes. But what Jesus tells us to focus on are things that will outlast you. Giving has, you know, have you ever heard that statement, you are dwelling in the shade of a tree you didn't plant? Have you ever heard that? Where, you know, and basically what that's saying is, is you are reaping the benefits of a seed of a tree that you did not plant. You're dwelling in the shade of somebody else's work. And really, that's what the gospel is. Is Jesus did what we couldn't do to give us what we didn't earn. Is that we are dwelling in the shade of a tree we didn't plant. This is what Paul says, going back to 2 Corinthians 9. He says this, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And just to stop there really, really quick, that, that like what Paul is, is saying here is that when you have a life of, gen, of generosity, you got a lot of seed in the ground. You got a lot of seed in the ground. And I don't know about you, but whenever it rains... You, people that only get mad when it rains are those who don't have seed in the ground. If you've got seed in, in the ground, you're ready for rain. Basically saying that the, whenever life hits you, you can be comforted in the fact that if you've got seed out there, it's going to pop up. Right? But then it says this, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And, and then it goes into the heart. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I love that because one of the things when I was thinking about LifeHouse, I wanted the vibe of our church to not be people felt pressured or people felt beat down, but they would give because of the gospel and give because they see what God's doing in our church and that they would like want to give and they would be generous, not be, to, to get something from God, but because they would be like, man, this is, this is who we are. But then it says here, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And then he says this, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, and here's the, the key verse. 
as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. And it says their good deeds will be what? Remembered forever. Basically, there will be a legacy left. Y'all, even Jesus said about his life, his life is a seed. John chapter 12, this is Jesus talking. He said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So what Jesus was saying is my life is literally like a seed that will go in the ground and die, but in its death, it will produce new life for millions and billions. But it started with the seed. It, it, I think there is a reason why giving, like here's the thing, I think giving can feel a lot like dying. Has anyone felt that? Like me and Kristen were challenged this year. Like I asked her with this offering, we have the legacy offering. I asked her, hey, babe, what you feeling? What you feeling we should give? You know, doing the whole wife thing, you know. What, what's your number? And we're going back and forth, you know. What's your number? <laughs> what your number is? And she told me her number. Like, All right. A little more than my number. I was like, okay, well, all right, we go. It felt like something was dying. It felt like something was dying. Because giving can feel that way because giving is a, lot, is a lot like a seed. And it says unless the seed, what, dies. I think that's the reason why giving can feel a lot like dying because, yes, yeah, something is dying Dying within you, it's called selfishness. It's getting on a cross because we have self preservation wanting to be cultivated in us. But Jesus said, in the death, life will happen. And I believe that as you continue to get on the cross and crucify your selfishness through disciplined giving, through, through training, not trying, giving with the right heart, the right motive, giving to things that will outlast you, it won't just change what you give towards. It will change your heart, and it will free you. Stand up with me, church. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.